I loathe the idea that there are performance issues because there isn't a performance management process. The two, the two don't come hand in hand, right? And this is often the case. We have a performance issue. Can you help us implement a performance management process? And it's actually not the, the process that's going to help deal with the, the issue in terms of improving performance. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The melting pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The melting pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking to a fantastic guest. I'm talking to Anouk Agasol. She's the founder and CEO at Unleashed. And she's she and her team are on a mission to help the leadership teams in high growth businesses solve three things. They're looking to help them hire and attract the best talent when you don't have a brand. And I don't think I work with many clients who have a brand where that really they have enough awareness in the marketplace to really pull in talent so this is this is one probably for everybody that i speak to how to build a highly engaged productive high performing team that (laughs) that's a destination it's a journey that's always and forever and how do you take founders and management teams from doing and release them from that doing and help them create another layer of management underneath. So that's what Anouk's about, and that's what we chat about today. We talk about what she's found helping 90 high-growth companies over the last few years solve these challenges, and we have a great conversation. I'm sure you'll love it. So my name's Anouk. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called uh, Unleashed, and we work with early stage and scaling startups on all things people and culture to make sure that their scaling journey is both successful, speedy, and sustainable. And how long have you been doing Unleashed for? Oh, coming up to four years in May, actually, or just, you know, three and three quarter years. Um, uh, I started as a little lifestyle business where I was going to be doing one to two days a week. I had no ambitions of creating a business business um, because actually I wanted to spend more time at home, particularly with my son who, who we found out was quite severely dyslexic and I wanted to be there to help him with his learning challenges because he was diagnosed, isn't the right word, but kind of diagnosed quite late. Um, and I say late, he was 11 at the time, but actually he, he grew up thinking that he was just stupid. So his confidence was absolutely broken. And then I started Unleashed as a way to help me work from home more, but still do what I love and, and have my mind um, challenged and fulfilled and work with startups because it's always, it's always been a space where I've really enjoyed um, and actually it took off. 
So I didn't spend quite as much time at home as, as I wanted to. And now we're a team of 10. We've worked with around 80, 90 startups um, and scale-ups and, and we just continue to grow, which is, which is lovely. I mean, I really enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll forgive you. I'm sure he'll forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> He he has forgiven me. <laughs> Thank goodness. And he's and, he, and he's and he's coping. He's doing all right. Yeah, he's doing all right. I mean, at the moment, I think for like a mental health, he's very social. He's very sporty. So not being able to have his sport and his social activities has been really hard on him. And he suffered quite a lot from um, mental ill health, actually, particularly the first time around. We took a lot of lessons from the first time and applied them. Uh, this time, uh, but he's definitely looking forward to going back to school. Interestingly, though, being in lockdown has enabled him to to create a routine uh, for himself, which has been really beneficial, and he can actually focus more than he can in class. So it'll be ah. interesting to see what happens when he goes when back. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Very good. So, ten people work with ninety, say ninety startups. Yeah, 80 to 90. It's, it's, it's hard to be definite on that because we work with a lot of or a number of VCs and we work within their portfolio of businesses. So for some of it, it can be light touch. And then for some of it, it can be heavy duty, you know, retained type work for six months plus. Um, uh-huh. And if you're working with a VC in their portfolio, I guess they're using you preemptively to stop issues. But what's the, what's the thing that would normally have got the phone to ring. Like what's the, what problem make, got people ringing you up and saying, Anouk, please help? Yeah, so there are a number of ways companies come to us. One, it's for those that are a, a bit more aware of the importance of setting a, a strong culture for the business to grow. They will come to us preemptively and say, you know, we're looking to hire 100 people in the next year. We know we're going to encounter some people problems. We don't know what they are. Can you help us uh, mitigate those? Whilst then there are other companies who will come to us and say, oh, we've got some performance problems, we've got some uh, connection problems, we can't hire the right people, we can't get the right talent, what are we doing wrong, can you come and help us? Also, lots of questions around management development um, in startups, as you'll know, you people tend to be promoted uh, those who have been there for a while um, <laughs> or those who are the best ones yeah. that do the job the best, they don't necessarily have the skills and, and that can be quite detrimental. Yes. Yeah. And so how come this is a problem you know how to fix? Well, I've been in the people and the culture space for, oh, I want to say, almost 20 years now. Um, I, I actually wanted to be a paediatrician when I was younger. I had a mentally and physically disabled uh, brother and I wanted to fix kids at the time. I started doing final year chemistry. I, I was in Australia at the time and then I realized I wasn't going to get into med school. Um, <laughs> so, so I thought, okay, what else What else can I possibly do that, that involves working with people and fixing? And I didn't know. I was actually a little bit lost. Um, eventually after working, because my parents uh, decided to, they, uh, they were going to kick me out of home if I wasn't either studying full-time or working full-time. And actually, at the time, I thought that was really tough, but I'm glad that they did it. And I got a job working in a hotel. And very quickly, I started helping on the recruitment, helping on the training. And I thought, actually, I quite enjoy this stuff. So then I went back to university and did a um, master's in business management, majored in human resources, um, and then started working more and more in that space. Um, 
I'm not your typical HR type person. I don't like policies. I don't like processes. Um, and I've actually come to like processes, but I certainly didn't at the time. Um, I'm not particularly transactional. I like the, the strategic people culture side, the stuff that really adds value to a company. Rather um, than the compliance piece. Oh, yeah. It makes me twitch a little bit. <laughs> 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 you, you do what you have to do because it's part of the role, but I prefer it being part of a role than being the role, um, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, totally makes sense to me. I, I, did, uh, I did HR as part of my MBA as well and never thought I'd, I would ever end up in an HR role, but thought that I might at least be worth my while knowing how it was supposed to work or how the theory should make it work. So Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so, and I, my formative job was at M&S where the personnel department was closed at lunchtime well. because they, <laughs> because, just because the employees were off doesn't mean that the HR, the personnel staff, you know, wanted to go and have their lunch too. So, um, and I thought never, never going to have an HR function that looks or looks or works anything like that. Absolutely. Any business I have anything to do with. So, um, so you go in and you help people scale. How, what do you, what is it that you do? Do you have, do you have a, a formula for uncovering problems before you apply some framework or? Yeah. So the the first thing that we do is um, do a discovery and it's a really important aspect. I don't believe in taking best practice. I think best practice actually means standard. So taking like a best practice framework that's worked in one place and just applying it to, to another place. So we do quite a deep dive discovery where we look at we carry out what we call an MOT, a very much like a car MOT, kind of we lift, lift the, the, the bonnet and have a look at the engine and what are their current people and culture practices, how are they doing things now, um, are those things, and the most important thing there is not whether they have them or whether they're good or not good, it's whether they're scalable. Um, if they're looking to grow you know, past 250 people and they're only 50 people now, then we need to know if those practices are going to scale with them or not. Typically, they don't. The businesses that we work with, they don't have scalable practices because they haven't had to have them and that's okay. Um, we also do an engagement survey because it's great to understand what's happening, but it's really even better to understand how the team feel about what's happening. And we also then do an alignment session with the leadership team. So we try and get the leadership team together and we say, you know, in 12 months' time, what would you, how would you like things to be working? What do you want to see? What do you want to hear? What do you want to feel? And we get the leadership team aligned um, uh, on that because otherwise it's never going to work. And then off the back of all of those bits of in, in information, we pull together a roadmap. And the idea is that that roadmap is prioritized based on each company's individual needs on what from, from the data that we found. And then we work with them to deliver it. So we are not your typical consultants that say, here you go, here's your report, off you go now, because that's never going to work and will never have impact. Um, we actually work alongside them, whether it be kind of four days a month or six days a month. Um, if they don't have any people, people, we do that side of things for them. We don't get involved in the admin stuff that's strategic and, and um, creating new new people ops practices, as we call them. And so what are some of the things that you get them to do that they're just not expecting? Well, it really varies depending on the company. Um, what we, we're getting a lot of at the moment are people coming to us and saying, um, hey, we'd really love to create a progression framework so that everybody knows what kind of ladder they can climb up. 
and it's like, okay, how many people are you? We're 20 people. And, and do you have structured roles and all the rest? No, we don't have any of that. It's like, okay, so this is going to be an interesting challenge. And I actually um, would question whether starting with a progression framework is going to be the right place. So sometimes businesses will come to us asking for one thing because they think it's what they want or think it's what's going to solve their problems and it's really not. And then we'll yeah. go back to the beginning and we talk about actually for each role that you currently have, is everybody really clear on what's expected of them right now? Uh, do they know what good performance looks like right now? Forget forget about the future because then you can start building skills and it's not necessarily you know vertical that people are going to climb. It can be all over the shop, particularly in a startup particularly in a world where um, you don't know what jobs are coming next, right? So you can't plan for all of that and you want people to be ready to take to take everything on. Well, I, I was just, I was, as you were talking there, I was thinking in a 20-person startup, who is it who's worried about career progression? Like if you've hired that person, you might well have just hired the, you've hired somebody who's, who might well be not the right fit for your business if they're saying, where is my career progression ladder? But it happens a lot because people want to progress, and be, and be, which is normal. But I think we we're not always as leaders. We don't always have the skills to say, well, progression isn't necessarily through junior, mid, senior, manager, or specialist, whatever it might be. Actually, progression is just developing. And if you've worked in a startup for a year you've progressed, you've developed some awesome skills, um, probably being quite generalist and getting involved in everything, lots of things that you won't have done before. So you've come a long way. What managers need to learn to do is to have those conversations and say, hey, let's chat about where you were at last year. Um, or where, you know, what have you learned? What are the skills? I need to be talking about that all of the time so that people can feel like, oh, Shit, yeah, I'm I'm actually really motoring here. I don't need some kind of matrix to tell me that I have to learn X, Y, and Z skills to then develop. And then for managers to be able to have really good conversations around what do you love doing? What are your strengths? What are you really good at? And you could have someone that's working as a front-end engineer, for example, finding themselves within a couple of years being a product marketer, if that's what they're interested in, because there are links to their skills and it's just adding bits and more and more on and and quite often that that sort of general you've got that generalist to specialist you know that's gonna happen and um actually one of the often i see one of the challenges is you know you've got that sort of the first that that you know the 20 person startup you know when it's 100 people not very many of those 20 people will be still in general. None of them will be in generous roles. And sometimes they don't have the skills to be the specialist, but they were the first 20 people and they're still there. And, and they're feeling almost bereaved, you know, like there's a, there's a, they're, they're, they're wishing the business was 20 people, but some, some of them should leave. Yeah. Some of them should take, you know, but it's having that difficult conversation. Often somebody rang me recently and said, my leadership team is 22 people because, because we've never had those difficult conversations oh. and all the people who ever got promoted are still, are still on the team. Oh, and that causes so many other other issues and other problems. It's a really common problem, Dominic. The, um, we, we see that all, all of the time where people are like, help me. We had these amazing generalists that were fantastic we, uh, in the early days. We've had to bring people in, over, around them, whatever it might be, um, because we've had to become more specialized as we've grown, um, which is completely normal. Um, 
And now they're causing us some really spiky problems. They're, um, you know, they're a little bit kind of bad apple-ish, um, and I'm using kind of air quotes here. And, and actually, it's really about telling a story. I think there are people who are suited to the early stage, which is all about building. And then there are people suited, uh, well, creating and ideating, actually. Then there's kind of building and then there's growing. And different people have different skill sets around those things. Not everyone's suited to all of them. But I think if as leaders we can become better at telling the story of where we've been, you know, why we started um, the company, um, what we set out to achieve, what we've done, what have been our wins, what have been the really difficult things and how did we get through them, where we are now, and then start to look forward to where is it that we're going, how are we going to get there, what kind of, what can we expect, like what are those amazing milestones that we want to hit but actually how difficult do we think it's going to be the answer is very and therefore how as a team are we going to work through those you're already setting people up for change because we all thrive on um, having a certain amount of certainty which is very difficult to get um, these days and in a startup but we thrive on that and we need that and therefore, if, you, if people know that things are going to change and it's okay if it no longer suits you, then it really makes those conversations when they happen far easier because people are already expecting difficult moments ahead. Um, and and that, that whole concept of sort of people being in the business as a tour of duty, that, that it's okay to leave and it's okay to have an honest conversation. So often people, both sides, you know, the manager doesn't want to have the conversation and the employee thinks it's not right to have the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And we start that conversation day one in at Unleashed. Um, so whenever I onboard a new team member, one of the things that I say on their first day is talking about when the time is for them to leave. But I think that's very difficult for founders to do because it's you, a lot of founders take someone leaving quite personally as well. I mean, it's one thing if they decided if they decide to get them out, but if someone resigns, like it's a very personal thing. And I've you know I've seen managers go from this is my favourite person in the world, which is not a good thing, to I hate that person, I never want to see them again, and shut them out for their whole notice period. It's like hold on, where's that middle ground? Let, 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 yeah. Let's let's chat through this. Yeah. It might not have come as much as as big a shock if you'd had some of those conversations earlier. Precisely, <laughs> which is why it's so helpful. Open the door early, and then it's so much easier for everybody to walk through it when the time's right. Well, the the other thing about that sort of career progression ladder, I think that's one of those things where people look at a some big company and they think, oh, well, big company. A startup is like a a small big company, so there are things we're going to need to do. Um, and pro progression is progression ladders is one of them, and, and another one is appraisals. We should have an appraisal system, and it just it just makes my blood run cold. I, in fact, I had because it's such a long time since I'd been in a corporate job. I was stunned a year or so ago. I had a meeting with somebody who works in a large corporate and is quite senior, and he just completed his first twelve months there, and his boss basically told him that he'd wasted his time in the first 12 months doing all the stuff that he didn't want him to do. But they, they, they still have this like annual conversation where your, where your boss sits down and says, you've been shit for 12 months, but I never bothered to tell you. And because it wasn't the process. Because <laughs> <laughs> the process is an annual appraisal. And, and it just, it makes my head explode. And so when anyone ever says, oh, we should introduce an appraisal system, it's just like, let's not. What, so what are you, what are you, 
what are some of the things that you might do with some of your clients? So, well, for, let, let's take performance. Um, you, you touched on appraisal processes there. Let's take performance as an example. I loathe the idea that there are performance issues because there isn't a performance management process. The two, the two don't come hand in hand, right? And this is often the case. We have a performance issue. Can you help us implement a performance management process? And it's actually not the, the process that's going to help deal with the, the issue in terms of improving performance. So when when there is bad performance, and I think of this as as a symptom, if you like, it can be for for any number of varying causes, and it could be a multiple of different causes. The wrong person was hired. In fact, it's the wrong role that was that was uh, put in place in in, in the first place. Um, onboarding was really bad. People don't have clear expectations of what good performance looks like. The manager could be rubbish. You know, there are so many different things that add up to p- performance not being good. It's not the fact that there isn't a process in place. But if we are looking at, and I prefer to talk, by the way, about performance enablement rather than performance management. I think it, you know, the nuance is significantly far more about improving people's performance rather than controlling people's uh, oh, it's, performance. Well, it's that. It's like, do you think people come to work every day to do as little as possible, or do you think people come to work every day to do the best job possible, humanly possible? And it's it's a it's a it's in your head. Yeah. Most what we find that um, so uh, you asked me the question. Give me an example of what you what you do. If there is a performance problem, for example. We're likely to sit down with the manager and the first thing that we'll do is talk about what the expected performance is for somebody within that role. Then once they can clearly articulate it, we'll get them to communicate that to the individual. And that is normally enough because to your point, people don't want to underperform. They don't come to work and say, hey, today I'm going to do a really shit job and I can't wait. They want to perform, but they don't know what's expected of them in the first place. So what we try and do is like enable, we'll do a lot of management development and enable managers to have really great one-to-one conversations with people, help people to understand how they're performing, what's not stacking up or matching up, how to develop that. And that's what we look at from a performance perspective. Or we might work on an onboarding practice. We have a design thinking approach. So for us, it's not about, um, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, it's not about taking what works in one business and applying it straight to another. So if we're looking at uh, creating some really strong onboarding, which has got to be one of the most impactful ways to help set people up for success in a business, we talk to the managers who have managed onboarding before. We talk to individuals who have joined the business, say, in the last six months. We find out what worked, what didn't work, what do those people wish that they had known, uh, that they know now, that they wish that they had known earlier. We also take our own experience and what we know that works, and we combine those things. And we design um, a practice that we then share with those people that were involved. Hey, what do you think about this? Would have this met your needs on so forth? Yeah, that's great. Let's try it. We then implement it with a view to trying it with the next people. And then we take that information we take those people, we get more data. How did it go? What was good? What wasn't good? And we iterate it and we improve on it um, as well. So that that very specific business and um, remote onboarding is far harder, but that very specific business then has something tailored uh, to them. And, and And it's theirs and they own it. Exactly. And it, it only works in their business because it's for that business, that culture with those people uh, within yes. it. With their systems. 
with, with which may or may not include some sort of ability to share knowledge. They might not have any skills in capturing that. And so, who do you, who are you then working with? Are you then running that process for your clients, or are you is is somebody in that business then running onboarding? It depends on the business. So, um, in most businesses that we work with, there is somebody doing the day to day. It's not for us. We can't do the day to day and craft practices and do the leadership development. Um, so someone does the admin, someone does the coordination, someone makes sure, makes sure that things are ticking over. We typically work with the leadership team and with managers, but we get to know individuals across the business really well as well. We see ourselves very much as partners, not as service providers. And I think that's an important, uh, important distinction where we have been, where we don't work well, where we don't have the impact, in fact, is where either leadership teams aren't aligned on what kind of business that they they want to have or what kind of culture they want to have, which is surprisingly common, or where we are thought of as a service provider. So, for example, can you do the admin of this or can you do this? Or can, and actually providing us a to-do to list, you're wasting your money. Um, you know, we, we want to work with you where we can really create some, uh, help you craft an incredible business for the future, and that's not through the, the day-to-day typically. So uh, talk to me about what you, some of the solutions you might have crafted for people around uh, one of the challenges you expressed at the beginning was, we think our business is amazing, but somehow we can't persuade anyone to come and work here. Yeah. So often that relates to communication, right? Which, I mean, which actually, when it comes to communication, that tends to be the, the core cause of a lot of the problems. What do you, when, of, and what do you mean when you say, when you say communication, you mean flowing up, down, round the organisation. Yeah, everywhere, and being clear on it as well. So one of the, one of the first clients that I worked with, they were in the compliance space, which typically compliance can be um, rather uh, unexciting at the best of times. Um, and they were really struggling actually to recruit some amazing people, and they had the money to pay them well. That wasn't an issue. They were just struggling to recruit them. And I looked at their job specs, and I read it, and genuinely my eyes kind of started to glaze over and like if you want to inspire <laughs> if you want to inspire people to come and join you we need to have a discussion about why you exist so for something like that for example we I had a session with them we looked at what their um, purpose was what their vision was what their mission was and we started articulating that in a really well written way in a way that actually you know they're what they're what they're trying to achieve, what they w- want the world to look like, if this business is successful, is incredibly inspiring. Um, it's about building trust digitally online, and that can be quite an amazing thing to do because it's very hard to build trust in in that way. So, um, so then as soon as we like, even just rewriting the job specs, they were able to start to attract. Uh, better people um, as a result. Then there's obviously kind of interview processes and the rest. But it's it's another one of those big company, if you look online and you just look at how awful job ads are, and job ads are often just the public version of an internal job spec. So people's expectations are so low that, and they just repeat what they've, either they've seen done to them or they see other people do. But it's just that, um, I and I, we've, I've had exactly the same results with some of with some of our clients as well where they're just sharing that purpose come and join us and and 10x improvement in 
quality candidates ringing ringing their front doorbell. Yeah, it's incredible. And the, the same message, though, has to be carried through uh, to the whole company all of the time, right? Continue communicating that purpose. Make sure that people are really aligned with what it is you're trying to achieve. Not only aligned, but do they actually understand it properly? And that message, you might feel as a leader that you're over-communicating it, but it can never be over-communicated. Um, <laughs> uh, like it's just reiterate, reiterate, and reiterate so that people are really clear. I, I think until your staff probably start taking the piss out of you and and mock you because they can take you off perfectly whenever you're like until you get to that point, or they're begging you not to tell them again, yeah. <laughs> then you probably yeah. haven't pushed hard enough. And like it's uh, the gap between where people are and, and where that point is is just huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the way to make that scalable as well, because businesses have to grow, is to write it down. And then other people can also share the message. Like these aren't difficult things. We're just so busy all the time that we forget that if we start writing things down, again, particularly important in uh, whilst we're remote working or in remote environments, write things down, then things become far easier to spread. You kind of create like a cultural drumbeat where everybody if they don't know them off the top of their heads, can very quickly access the values, the behaviours, the purpose, all of that, and it can spread with far more ease. Uh, absolutely. I, mean, I, just, I was just thinking, I was reminded of a, uh, a client we did some work with where oh, they'd gone from sort of 20 or 30 people to sort of 150 people in about nine months. And so they, they, at that point, their communication was a quarterly all hands yeah. uh, because that had worked when they were little. And and the C and, and they went they went to fortnightly, and the CEO said the unexpected the unexpected consequence of that would people would stop him in the office and talk to him because now they knew who he was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was just the the gap was so huge from where they'd been and where they were it just wasn't serving them at all. Um, onboarding so you know uh, people vaccines are working deaths are coming down people might get back to their office sometime but. I suspect lots of people will still have to do some level of remote onboarding or might have decided, certainly some of our clients have decided to remote first as a recruitment strategy. What have you seen working really well in terms of remote onboarding? Uh, Okay, so remote onboarding, well, first of all, I think what we have in terms of remote working now is going to be very different when we're actually allowed out of our houses properly. Tell me, me how's it going to look? Well, it means that we can make the most of the days and the time and the flexibility. So we can, you know, we can go to the gym for two hours at lunchtime if that's something that takes your fancy. Or you can go and pick up the kids from school when the kids are back at school. We're going to have so much more flexibility in what we can do with our days when we're working from home that it's going to become an even more enticing proposition than I think that it already is. There are very few businesses that I know that are intending to return to the office full time. In fact, I can't think of one of our clients that is intending that. It's going to be very much hybrid. The problem that we have with hybrid is what we had before when there were individuals who were remote working with businesses and the rest of the team was mainly in the office. And what we had there was that people who were working remotely felt often left out. I think now, on the other hand, that everybody... No, 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 they were, they, were, they were left out. They were left out, you're right. You said they were, they were I mean, absolutely I, look, left I, out. My, my career has mostly been running European operations for North American companies. 
like you're left out all of the time and not and not on purpose it's just it's just is what it is yeah i worked with a company that got this really right after mistakes after not getting it right they got it right this is about 7 8 years ago now where if there was anybody in their team who was working remotely or wasn't in the office, whether it be just for a day or whether it be regular, everyone in that team, if there was a meeting, had to be working as if they were remote, um, which is, I think, the only way to make it work. Like everybody has to f- at least act as if they are remote workers. Don't, don't, like, so if somebody's decided not to come in and the rest of the team are in, doesn't that just make us all hate the person who hasn't come in today? Because now we've all got to go in. I think we've become used to it. on our own. Yeah, no, <laughs> whatever. When you don't, when you don't have to. Yeah, but I think there'll be there'll be far. I think what we'll end up seeing is that there'll be a lot more people. It'll be very rare that within a team there'll be only one person working from home. There'll be a lot more people working from home more often. Um, uh, in, in, and in fact, I suspect most people, if they go into an office again, it's going to be for maybe maybe two days a week. There won't it won't be much more than that. Um, certainly, with the businesses that we're working with, um, large corporates, I know that there's there's musings of of, of something very different there. But um, the as far as remote onboarding goes, which is one of the things that you mentioned, asynchronous has become a buzzword, right? Everyone's talking about asynchronous working at the moment, which is important that we get everything written down so that we can work individually and we don't have to be in sync working at the same time with everybody else. The problem when it comes to onboarding and what we've seen happen is that people who have joined the business in the last year are the first ones at the moment who are leaving again. There's a real disparity between the pre-COVID team and the post-COVID team. And that's because they don't feel, yeah, in terms of retention, Mm. they don't feel connected. They don't feel that they know people and it's fine to have everything written down and everything documented and this is our processes and this is how we work. But if you don't feel connection to the team, to the leaders, to the business, it's also just as easy to walk away. Um, And that emotional bond and those emotional connections are super important. What you don't want to do, and this is where the fine line is, is have somebody that's new be on Zoom all day. You don't want anyone, whether they're new or old, being on Zoom all day. Um, <laughs> Not but, unless it's a punishment. Uh, exactly, um, because that can be exhausting. And being new in a business, even in the days of when we were in office, was very tiring because there was so much to learn and so much to absorb. So there's a fine line, and I think working out what that line is is down to the individual. And therefore, managers on that first day really need to be able to have some deep discussions about what an individual likes, how they want to work, how the company is going to get the best out of them because it's going to be different for different people. And then vice versa for the manager to be able to share, this is how I like to work, this is what I expect, and come to some kind of agreement about how they're going to work together. Um, But make sure that every meeting has a proper purpose, that if it can be documented and read separately, then it should be documented and read separately. And there's opportunity to build lots of connections, which is the most important thing. So having some kind of, uh, I, I get annoyed by the word, but buddy system, but not a buddy where, oh, this is, you know, this is Bob. Um, if you have any questions, just ask him. Actually creating buddies with a, like a purpose within the business and they know what their role is. They know how, you know, when to catch up, they know what to talk about, they know which questions to ask, they know which questions to ask. It almost becomes 
a job that they have. They do it voluntarily because they want to, but um, it becomes a job. But, but that's it's it. It's the same as you know. Why would somebody become a manager because they're good at it? Somebody would become a buddy because they enjoy doing it because they're good at it. You know, not just because ring Bob and you never speak to Bob again. Yeah, and Bob doesn't want to talk to you either. So <laughs> no. we've all had buddies like that. What? Exactly. Um, uh, I think that buddy system's good. Uh, getting people to do it—that's a good. Uh, it's a good suggestion. What? Um, you were talking about some of the clients you work with who hire hundreds of people, or certainly scaling that up. How do you make sure you get it right? You know, if I—I I think the stats are one in four companies. A year after they've hired somebody, only one in four companies meets their requirements or, or meets their expectations. They don't get rid of the other three, but only one in four of them is, is deemed to be great. And what would you do with clients to help them get it so it's 70, 80 percent yeah, I think I think the first thing that needs to happen is that we understand what great actually looks like for a particular role. And I and I think of this as, you know, from a performance perspective. And I, there are three things within the sphere of performance, or I believe belong there. And I like alliteration, it's easier for me to remember. So they're the three A's. So it's action um being what you do, what you achieve, ability, the skills and the knowledge that you have and attitude. So your values, your behaviors, what motivates you. So those three, for me, in equal measure, if you have it as a Venn diagram, the, the best performers are those that are, that are in the center there. So if you can identify that early, it makes your recruitment process far easier because you know exactly what it is that you're looking for. I think lots of companies run into the problems of I think I'm looking for this, but I'm not really quite sure. And then halfway through an interview process, they realize that it's actually something else that they're looking for. Go back to the beginning, it's time consuming, or they end up hiring the wrong person because they think it could be the right person. Um, so with the interview process, you break it down. You break it down. Well, I, was just, I was just thinking, oh, look, alignment, communication, and that sort of performance enablement, like what are we actually looking for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Exactly that. Um, so uh, then you break the recruitment process up into those parts. How is it that I'm going to measure that the person has got the right experience to do the work that needs to be done? How is it that I'm going to know that they've got the right skills and the right um, knowledge? How is it that I'm going to know that they've got the right attitude for the role, for the company? What are their values? What behaviors am I expecting them to demonstrate? So on and so forth. And you interview for those sections separately, ideally. And you have different people interviewing for those sections and you have at least two people in each one. You don't want to have a massive panel because it's daunting. But actually what we found over Zoom, it's a little bit easier, in fact, to have three people than it is in the office because you end up being four squares um, and that kind of works fine. It's in an office if you're kind of, if it's panelish, it doesn't work really well. Um, the reason why you want more than one person is because of individual bias. And it's really important that you know what questions you're asking in advance, you know what a great answer looks like, and then you measure against the answer that you're kind of expecting. Um, and that everybody uh, separately almost kind of decides yes or no or a score or whatever a business might use and rates individually and then discusses what they think. And then the next people go with the next section and then you come back together and you discuss the individual against what great looks like um, that you've ahead of the time thought of. 
And that's, you know, at a basic level, that's the the kind of structure that I would follow. One of those testing for skills and experience, can they actually do the work, would ideally be some kind of task. It depends on the role, what that task would be, but it could be a coding challenge. It could be hosting a, you know, facilitating a small session. It could be an idea generation one. You're, you're trying to test for something that they're going to be doing predominantly within their role. Um, because the, the the best way to understand how someone will perform is to see them in action, and you you, you want to recreate that as closely as possible. And do you do any testing? Uh, at, like personality profile type testing? Is that what or, you, you're or, referring yeah, to? Yeah, or, or yeah, or any type of testing. I, yes, and well, yes, and actually, um, what we did uh, for hiring Unleashed last time, we like trying out tech tools um, uh, because it's important for us to know kind of what's out there. And we we tested out a tool that is almost like um, it's computer games basically that you play that test for for different levels of proficiency in certain areas, such as kind of multitasking, which we all did as a team terribly on, um, but, <laughs> but such as multitasking or, you know, risk-taking, this, that, or the other. And it's it's quite good to do. It's fun to do as part of an application process. But I think what businesses have to be really careful with is that they know with something like that what their current team is at, how the current team, you know, play, played the game. And actually that when they look to overlay somebody else, that they're not looking for exactly the same, that they're looking for differences. It's so important to bring people in who are different, who can challenge us, who can, can help us grow, uh, which is different to uh, cultural fit and cultural alignment and all of that. Uh, it's just different skills, which is really important, and different experiences. But also that they talk to the individual who completed this. So they say, hey, you, you scored really low on risk-taking. Do you feel that that is true of yourself? Let's discuss what's come out here and have a conversation about it. I think tests like that can be really dangerous if they box people into a space without actually some thought going into what does that mean for the team and what does that mean for the individual? Because actually, if you don't need any risk takers and somebody scores low on risk taking, does that matter? So you know, ruling people out on the basis of those, I think is dangerous. Having it as an additional data point, um, I think is not necessarily a bad thing. And what uh, what other challenges haven't we spoken about in a, in a broad sense? Scaling culture remotely, we touched on through onboarding, but I think that's definitely a challenge that businesses feel that they're facing, where they've particularly felt that their culture was wrapped around the social aspect, being in the office, you know, free beers on a Friday, the pool table, things like that. Now, all of those things are really nice. For me, they're cherry on top bits. And if you don't have the cake, the cherries have got nowhere to sit. So I think there are a lot of businesses that have been a little bit caught, caught out, probably not the right language, but that have really felt the absence of the office for what they think is their culture. But culture is so much deeper uh, than all of those things. And actually, it's about values and behaviors and your norms and your processes and how you run meetings and who makes decisions, all of that. Um, so I think where that is invisible, more invisible, or let's say less visible when it's remote, I think lots of businesses have struggled um, with that. And that's where that kind of thinking about it and documenting it really takes 
you know, comes into its own and starts to become really important. And have you got have you got examples of where people, you know, you said one of the outcomes of that is that the staff in the last 12 months have got a higher churn rate. Have you seen any clients fix that problem or even have make a dent on that problem around, you know, how do you how do you bring that how do you make that culture more visible and more explicit? Yeah, absolutely. So in particular, uh, the best examples are those where uh, it's been about learning. So if, for example, and, and I'll give you an example of what we do, but we've helped a lot of other businesses do this as well. Learning is really important for us generally, for everybody. You, you want to be on top of your game. You want to know what, that what you're doing is really good. And it's really fulfilling, I think, to learn and to grow and to develop. Um, so does all of our team because we re- recruit against that too. One of the things that we found, and lots of businesses are finding this, is that you learn a lot uh, organically when you're in an office um, about how things are done, right? Because you see other people doing it. When the screen's off or when you're behind a screen and you're not talking to anyone, you can't see those things anymore. You, you, that's all kind of gone and you're just by yourself in, in your room if, you've got, if you're lucky enough to have a, your own space in which to work. So what businesses and what we've done is we've established um, and we've taken it a little, like to the extreme, but I think it's the right thing to do. Every single Friday is basically a full day of learning um, and culture-based things. So, for example, Friday morning, we do um, we call it Carousel. We do an update. So I update on the numbers. I update. Um, we do it like a business development update, you know, who, who's who are we talking to? Who's in you know the, the pipeline, so to speak? We do um, we talk about what we're going to be doing for our newsletter this month. So it's just all updating. Then we have uh, a break because it's important to take breaks. Then we have what we call like demos, and basically so that we know which tech HR tech tools are out there and work and what they do and whether they'd be right for our clients. Otherwise, it's consultants. You only kind of give out the same names that you're used to giving out, but it doesn't mean they're actually the best for the client. We have a demo. So we'll, we'll uh, invite uh, an HR tech company to demo their product to us so that we can understand what it's like and how it works. Then we have a lunch break. Then we have what's called client share and care in the afternoon. And that's where we break out into smaller groups. And the, the, in those groups, you, the, the team chats to each other around what they're working on with clients at the moment, what's going well, what challenges are there? They seek kind of other people's opinions and perspectives um, and really problem solve together. And then later on in the afternoon, we call, have what we call brain love, which is a learning session, one and a half hours where we can bring a, a drink of choice, tea or coffee or martini or beer, whatever you prefer to drink. And we have a learning session where either one of the team who has a particular passion about something shares that with the rest of the team or something that they've learned, which the rest of the team don't necessarily know, or whatever it might be. Um, or we have an external expert in something come in and share their knowledge with us. Or we pick a topic, for example, values or pay philosophy, and we discuss that together to understand each other's perspectives and how things work. So Fridays are all learning, and that's made a huge difference to us. And for those businesses that we work with that have really focused on how do we increase learning now that that's kind of gone organically, um, made a huge impact. And you've got a lot of time together. You've got, a, you've got time in small groups. You've just got enough room there for people to hang out. Yeah, and it's really important. Um, it, and it makes a big difference. Everyone's a little bit sick of 
well, I think they were sick of it a long time ago, kind of the Zoom quizzes and, you know, all, all of that, that, that didn't take too long to, to dry up. So this is a way for people to still connect um, whilst learning. So it's, it's fulfilling as well for people. And do you see that, would you do that face-to-face on a Friday or do you carry on doing it remotely on a Friday? Uh, I would love to do it face-to-face because then I'd like to go out afterwards with the team and enjoy time in a bar somewhere. Um, but it's that that's going to be completely up to the team um, in terms of when we go back. So for those that want to come in face-to-face, there will be face-to-face. And for those that don't want to, don't feel comfortable, prefer to do remote and uh, do it remote, that's also completely fine. So we are, we are going to be extremely flexible in that space. Fab. Uh, Anouk, what is it that you know now that you wish you'd known earlier in your life or career? Oh, that I'm not superhuman. I know it sounds really daft, but I've always gone for what can I do more? What can I do better? And this is only a lesson that I literally learned January the 1st of this year. Um, and I can pinpoint, I can pinpoint, I was walking along the seafront I was listening to a podcast and it hit me in the face like, oh, yeah, I'm not superhuman Um, uh, because I've just always – I'll give you an example. I signed up – I'm not a a particularly strong runner. Um, I signed up to a marathon last year with a month to go. I'd run, I don't know, maybe 20 times I'd run 5K and I'd run one 10K and one 8K, right? So, And then I thought, actually, you know what? In a month I'm going to do a marathon. And so I, I, I thought, I better get a pe- personal trainer because I don't want to injure myself. And the personal trainer said, you're absolutely crazy if you think you can train for a mar- marathon in a month. And, and I said, of course I can do it. Naturally, he was right. And uh, what, four training days in, I damaged one of my knees and I couldn't run it. And I was gutted. So I ended up walking it. Um, I, like, there was no way that I wasn't going to do the marathon. But I... But I <laughs> But I ended up walking it because there was no way that I could run it. And I said, okay, so that wasn't a success, but that's all right. Because to make up for that next year, I'm going to run two marathons. And the year after, because that's not enough, the year after, I'm going to run five marathons in five different countries. Um, of course. And I'm going to be the best man. And I'm going to be um, the, the, the best you know, CEO. And I'm going to like, it's just this constant, constant, constant. And then I was listening to uh, Dr. Edith Eager. She is a 93-year-old uh, psychologist who is also a Holocaust survivor. And she was on Rongan Chatterjee's um, podcast, uh, Live Better, Live More, Live More, Live Better. I can't remember which way that goes, but it's one of my favorite podcasts. And she was, I mean, she an incredible woman. She was, and I thought I had a growth mindset. And she was talking about the opportunities that she saw for growth whilst she was in Auschwitz. Like, like to me, that's kind of incomprehensible. Um, but she was talking about this kind of whole, how we have to forgive ourselves for being human. It's okay to make mistakes. We're not superhuman. And that's literally, I was listening to it on my walk on the, on the 1st of January. And that's where I was like, oh my God, that's what I'm, I've been trying to do for so long. I said to myself, this sounds really corny and creepy. I then said to myself in the mirror later, I forgive you for being human. I can't, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but I can't tell you the weight that lifted off my shoulders, particularly then because we were having to homeschool and I've got two kids and, and, and with the homeschooling and all the rest, like the weight that lifted off my shoulders was insane. And I've been zen since then. It's oh, been that's amazing. brilliant. Yeah. Homeschooling. 
8 oh. of March, roll on though. <laughs> oh, I can't come fast enough. <laughs> love them dearly. Go, go yeah. back to school. Yeah, love them. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> it's two full-time jobs. Yeah, it is. It's it like, is. I mean, I was talking to a client the other day. He said he, said he, he reckons some of his team are doing about two hours a day because they're, they're homeschooling. And he's like, what do I do? What do I do? Do I tell them I know they're not doing any work because they're not doing any work? They're telling me they're working, but they're not working. It's just like, ah, back to school, solve the yeah, problem. It's, it's, it's really, really hard. Back to school does will solve a lot of problems. Um, albeit what I've, I found, um, there's a couple of mothers within the team. I found one of the things to be that, that's been amazing is the rest of the team have really stepped up so that the, the mums, and I say mums because we don't have any dads, but so that the mums have been able to step up at home and it's just made the world of difference. Um, and we share like our, you know, um, I can't work this morning because I've got a homeschool and that's completely cool. That's all right. Because it gets sort it comes out in the wash at some point in time. Yeah. And what, it's that ability to be transparent though, isn't it? It's that we were talking before we were recording about, you know, about Zoom and transparency. And, and you know, if, if one of the things that we've got out of this, it's just that people I think are more forgiving of that home life. Yes. Work-life yes, balance. Absolutely. The, the, I think it, it's gone from this, we need to be professional to we are all human um, and we all do have lives and we all do have other things that impact us. I think everybody's been impacted throughout this uh, pandemic, but in very different ways. Some things that impacted one person has, hasn't impacted somebody else, but it doesn't mean uh, that that people aren't impacted you know there's one person in my team who always feels like he needs to apologize um because uh he doesn't have any kids and it's like yeah but you're like lonely <laughs> and that's not <laughs> that's not good either like i want to get rid of my kids you want people around you like it's 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 you know hard for everybody but in different ways yeah, yeah. no we i remember first lockdown we had a client who just said she she just said, look, I haven't had any physical contact with somebody in weeks and was, was incredibly, incredibly uh, impacted by that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, completely. Um, I know people who used to thrive to be left alone, like, like just, just want to be alone, me time, please. I just want to sit down and read a book. Now they're like, I've had enough of me time. It's not what I value anymore. I value my social connections. <laughs> um, you know, get rid of all the books. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, so thinking, talking of books, what uh, you you mentioned one podcast there, Live Live More, Live Better. I'm sure we'll find that. Don't worry. Uh, what 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 other books or podcasts do you think? Yeah. So with books, I generally struggle a little bit because I always worry that people pick up a book, they read it, and then they try and apply it 100% to to work. Um, but some books that I think have been, I guess, very foundational for me um, and that I have grown off the back of, uh, Lean Startup by Eric Ries. I think every a founder has, has read that mindset by Carol Dweck, also a really, uh, really important one. And that's been really useful actually with my kids as well. And me and my white supremacy, uh, importantly by Leia, uh, Leia Syed, which is a hugely incredible book for people to understand 
their experiences privilege um, other people's experiences, um, all the rest from a, she's a, a black Muslim author um, that I think lives in the Middle East, um, but incredibly powerful book, which I did a lot of learning from. I tend to listen more to podcasts and find that there are moments that I hear that I then like to apply to my life or to work. Um, live more, live, live better. I mentioned by Rangan Chatterjee. Um, I, f- I find all of his shows incredible. Uh, Eat, sleep, work, repeat is another one that I enjoy listening to. Secret Leaders by Dan Murray Serta. Uh, Hyper Curious uh, by Beta. Her surname's just gone off the, at the back of my head, but Hyper Curious is a really um, good one as well. I love the idea of curiosity and and kind of wondering what's going to happen next. One of my favorite quotes is actually, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And I I just love, (laughs) love that. Um, So, yeah, that's me. And, of course, your podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) Anouk, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for those suggestions and thanks for your time today. Oh, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.